You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Hey, um, we are uh, finishing our Easter series called The Weekend That Changed the World. The Weekend That Changed the World. And I feel a lot of pressure, uh, to be honest with you, because this is the last, I mean, Easter is kind of like big deal in Christianity, you know, and this is the last Sunday of the Easter series. It's not just the last Sunday, this is the last service, 5 p.m., and I'm closing it down. So I've been, whew, I've been feeling the heat, like I said, it's a big responsibility. And so tonight I want to talk about, you know, we've been talking a lot about the weekend. We've talked a lot about Good Friday and what happened on Good Friday when Jesus went to the cross, he died. And then obviously what happened on Sunday, Jesus was raised from the, we've talked a lot about the weekend, but in the spirit of the weekend that changed the world, I want to talk about what changed, what changed. Okay. And there's a lot of different things that changed, but one thing in particular happened. The Bible would tell us that light entered the world that light entered the world. And I want to unpack that and talk about what that means. So the title of my message tonight is Illumination. Illumination. Oh my goodness. Look at that. So awesome. All right, so um, light entered the world. Okay, so here's the, I'm going um, to read something out of the book of Isaiah. So if you want to come with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 60, we're going to read 1, 2, and 3. And then we're going to jump to John chapter 8, something that Jesus says um, that, uh, that you've probably all heard before, a very famous statement by Jesus. Um, but before we do that, I want to read this passage in Isaiah because it's crazy, okay? You got to understand, okay, the book of Isaiah was written in like 700 BC by this very talented writer, okay? And he is writing this prophecy about this Messiah, this future savior that's going to come and, and, and save the world and bring light into the world. And you've got to get your head around how insane this is, okay? Like, so 700 BC is when this book was written. So Jesus came along in zero. You know, you count backwards in BC till you get to zero. So 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words, this man named Jesus was born and lived, okay? It would be like, like it would be like Christopher Columbus writing about some guy named Mike who was going to be born in Houston, Texas. Uh, he's going to have parents named Debbie, a dad named Joe. He was going to marry some lady named Katie. They're going to have these beautiful two kids. He was going to, like, that is what happened. Isaiah wrote these things that so specifically de- described, it's crazy, okay? So we're going to read this, and you're going to agree too. This is crazy. Isaiah 60, verse 1, 2, and 3. It's going to be on uh, the screen behind me, but follow along if you've got your Bible. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Now this next sentence on the back end of Easter, are you kidding me? Written 700 years before the first Easter, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Goodness gracious. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. How insane is that? Written 700 years before the first Easter, written by this prophet uh, testifying to this future promise of a Messiah, of a Savior that was going to come and bring light into the world. So now we're going to read uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. And again, you've, you've probably heard this, even if you've never been in church, this is a very famous statement of Jesus. And so in verse 12, he says, I am, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
Now it's um, interesting. I want to unpack this idea of what it means that Jesus is light. And kind of an interesting um, maybe uh, observation first is, um, you know, I think um, you think of like Jesus as the light of the world. And so we, we stare at him. We stare at this brilliant light and he's just so bright and we, and we just stare. We gaze on, on his brilliance. But if you think about it, when you walk into a room and you turn on the light, you don't stare at the light. That doesn't make any sense. And actually, the more you stare at the light, the less you actually see. You start to get these weird black spots, start to get a little dizzy. Okay? So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's not saying, so everybody look at me. What he's saying specifically with this statement is, I illuminate everything else. I allow you to see everything else brilliantly clear with crystal clarity. And so I want you to keep that in mind. This is not just about Jesus saying, everybody look at me. I'm so bright. I'm a superstar. He's saying, no, no, no. I am the light of the world. Before you walked in darkness, but whoom, light came on. Illumination. And I want to talk about three things that Jesus illuminates, okay? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you exactly how this service is going to go, okay? I'm going to do just a very little bit of teaching. I'm going to teach through uh, ways that Jesus illuminates. And I'm prophesying 30 minutes into our future that God is going to minister. I'm going to get out of the way, and we're just going to sing, and we're going to worship God, and I'm going to pray for some people and believe that illumination is going to come. And I know I've been praying all week. There's some of you that have, that have scales over your eyes and just feel like, man, I just don't, I feel so uncertain. I feel so just in the dark a little bit and illumination is going to come tonight. I am positive declaring it in Jesus mighty name. So three areas where Jesus brings illumination. Number one, to our identity. Number two, to our purpose. And number two, to the character and nature of God. Jesus illuminates our identity, our purpose, and the character and nature of God. We good? All right. Point one. Jesus illuminates our identity. Um, there is, um, in church, like, there's, like, the, the cardinal sin. I mean, like, the, the greatest evil in the world is to be inauthentic. Oh, my goodness. In church, it's, you know, we just, we're so, like, anybody who's, who's inauthentic, who is fake, I mean, that is, like, you are the, like, <laughs> the bottom of the barrel. You know what I mean? In church, like, we're, that's what we strive for is being authentic. And I would say that one of the, one of the, sort of hallmark, like as a church, our vision is a church that is fresh, real, and powerful. And I would say, and I know this is true for Katie and I, when we came here seven years ago, I bet you that for a lot of you, one of the things that drew you to this church was the authenticity, that people are real. And that's one of the most attractive things. And I think one thing that's important to note is that authenticity, every single one of us, every single one of us is journeying back from some level of inauthenticity towards authenticity. None of us is perfectly authentic. And I loved uh, what Chris Gomez said as he was about to get baptized. He was standing, I'll reenact it, okay? So Marco was standing here looking so handsome with his buzz haircut, whatever. And Chris Gomez was here in his super cool shorts and his flip-flops. And he said, you know, um, I just felt like I just picked up some stuff along the way. And how true is that? that we just kind of slowly just, you know, because of, of past decisions, because of words that have been said over us, we're just kind of just piling up all this junk, all this baggage that we just kind of start to carry around and start to get weighed down. And so every single one of us is on a journey back from inauthenticity. We, we all on some level live sort of viewing the world through these lenses and through these filters and with all this baggage. And I just love the way that Chris Gomez put it. So authenticity, we're going to talk about this idea because remember, Jesus is going to illuminate our identity. So what does it mean to be authentic? Well, 
I am glad you asked. That is a very intuitive question of all of you, I might add. The word authentic literally means to be of undisputed origin. To be of undisputed origin. So we're gonna we're gonna hash this out with a little analogy, okay? So uh, in Paris, France, there is a museum, a very famous art museum called the Louvre. And in the Louvre, there is a very famous room because in that room, there's a very famous painting. It's the only painting in the entire room. And it's really small. It's like just a little bit bigger than a piece of paper. And it's called the Mona Lisa. Now, the Mona Lisa is probably the most famous painting in the history of the world, and it is regarded as authentic, meaning that it was actually fashioned at the hand of its creator, Leonardo da Vinci. It's undisputed. Everybody agrees that that was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. And did you know that you were fashioned at the hand of your creator? Ephesians 2.10 says that you are his workmanship. How beautiful is that? God is an artist and you, my friends, are the work of art. Now, just go with me here. This may get a little weird, but I think it's gonna be good. All right, let's say I go in to the Louvre and I walk into that famous room with that famous painting and I point at it. I say, this painting is a fake I could have painted out my eyes closed. That is fake, 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 fake. Do you know what's going to happen? Nothing. Well, I'll probably be escorted out of the building, but nothing's going to happen. You want to know why? Because I have no authority to speak on behalf of the authenticity of this painting. No one cares what Mike has to say about the authenticity of the Mona Lisa because I don't have any authority in that realm. Okay? So... Here's the crazy thing. There's nothing stopping anybody from going into the Louvre and disputing the authenticity of the Mona Lisa. Any one of us could do it, but no one's going to listen. But this is very important. I want you to listen to me, okay? There are disputes about your origin all the time. The devil is always whispering in your ear, you know, you really think you were created to be a marketplace giant. You really commit, you really created to be, you know, uh, uh, to, to minister in the marketplace and to generate wealth and to really spread the gospel in the marketplace. Well, if that's so, then how come, you know, that business failed? Or how come, you know, your credit score is in the gutter? How come you've got all this debt? You really think you're, you're called to be a, a disciple maker, called to be a minister, but, but, you know, look at what you did last weekend. Look at what you were looking at last weekend or whatever the case is. There's constant disputes about your origin and there's nothing you can do about it. Okay. And they can come from the enemy. They can come from the devil, from his, from his, the powers of darkness, or, and they can just come from people around you. Okay. That speak negative words over you. There's nothing we can do to stop people disputing our origin. Nothing we can do, but they have no authority. It's just like me going into the Louvre and saying the Mona Lisa is fake. Nobody cares. doesn't matter. Okay. Now here's what happens. The only person that has authority to speak on your origin is God and you. So inauthenticity happens when we start to agree. And gosh, I am so guilty. You know, I'll just, well, I'll be like, yeah, gosh, you know, I mean, I really thought I was like called to, to the marketplace and really felt like, I, like God has ordained me to, to really go into business and to conquer. But like, 
man, you know, I mean, it's true. I mean, I, this one business is failing or man, like we just had a really bad month and, dig and we start to agree with these things. I mean, maybe it's really not true. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not cut out for really serving the church at a really high level and because of whatever I did or da, 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 da. And we start to agree with these things. And just like Chris Gomez said, we start to, to pick up all this bag and start to believe these things about us that aren't true, begin to see the world through these certain filters and these lenses. And then Jesus, whoo, turns the light on. All of a sudden you're like, what in the world? What am I wearing? How did I get all this junk on me? And he brings illumination and then shows you and so gently walks you through how to pull this off, how to pull that off, how to shed this, how to get that dirt off your shoulder. Amen. Come on. Any, any Jay-Z fans? Anyway, and so um, I want to I want to tell you just kind of a story from my my life. This is super recent, okay? That like just this revelation that's coming at me, you know, as a pastor of this church who's been following God for like ten years, okay? And it is this constant journey of illumination, God revealing things about yourself, and you're like, man, that I wow, that this is incredible. So um, I am shameless plug, a Pathfinder's apprentice. Come on. So Pathfinders is our marketplace ministry, all um, uh, you know, geared towards people who really feel called into business, called to make a difference in the marketplace. And the apprenticeship is this very intensive program. There's 12 of us. Um, you know, a bunch of people applied and uh, they didn't get in, but but I did. So uh, you know, it's pretty awesome. And uh, you'll understand why I just said that here in a minute. And uh, in this apprenticeship, okay, we had to take this assessment. Uh, and you've probably heard of it. It's called Strengths Finder, okay? Really popular. Uh, it's not really a personality assessment, uh, just kind of a, a, um, an assessment of, of different uh, areas of strength and, and all this. Anyway, so, you know, you answer a bunch of, a bunch of questions, and, um, and then they, they've sort of uh, identified these 34 themes of sort of areas of strength that people can operate out of. And then based on your answers to these questions, they give you your top five strengths, and they actually rank them in order, one, two, three, four, five. So I took this test, and just kind of, you know, all right, cool, whatever. And, uh, and then I got this, this printout, this report. Now, this is crazy, okay? So for, to, for you to meet somebody else who has the same five strengths as you in that order, one, two, three, four, five, is like a one in 33 million chance. And so I start reading this printout, and I'm like, I have this, like, I don't want to be put in a box, okay? When you tell me I'm like an, an INT, INTJ or whatever, I'm like, whatever. I don't, don't put me in a box, okay? I can be an ENFS. I'll be an INRQ, whatever, okay? Don't, don't put me in a box. And so I, there's just something in me that, you know, kind of these personality assessments, I'm just like, not me. I'm bigger than you, baby. And then I start reading this paper, and I'm like, oh, my God. This paper report knows more about me than I do. It was crazy. I mean, I'm like reading these things and I'm like, I was like step back from this report and I'm like, it's this inanimate object is prophesying over me. And it was crazy, okay? But here's the, here's the, the and look, I'm not, like Strengths Finders is not the gospel, okay? I'm not trying, I'm not, I, I have no affiliation with Strengths Finder whatsoever. It was just something that God used to illuminate some things in my life. And so uh, my top five strengths in order, doesn't really matter, I'm not gonna go into them, but they are competition, strategic, achiever, significance, relater. Doesn't matter what they mean, but here's what does matter. What does matter, well, number one strength is competition. So I love the fact that I just love winning. It's like my favorite thing. I hate losing. I hate losing even more than I like to win. Okay, and so here's the craziest, the craziest thing. Every single one of those things, all five of them, were things that in my 
adult life I have viewed as huge character flaws in myself. And I have tried to extinguish a lot of them from my life, okay? So, you know, in church, you know, I talked about, uh, you know, inauthenticity being a dirty word. There is a word that is even worse in church, and that is the word comparison. Oh, my gosh. We don't compare in church. That's the word. That's the cardinal sin. You can do whatever else, but you don't compare yourself to other people because that's bad for you, and shame, shame, shame. Don't you compare. Don't compare. Don't compare. Compare equals bad, right? So I get this paper report, you know, the Strengths Finder printout. All right, strength number one. Competition, literally the first sentence says, competition is rooted in comparison. I'm like, great, thank you. I suck even more than I thought. That's very helpful. Thank you, StrengthsFinder report. But then, again, Jesus brings illumination to who we are. And then, like through this, God began to speak to me. And here is the most, like this wild thing that I've just been learning so recently. Listen to me very closely. Comparison in and of itself is not bad. Let me show you. Now, I'll give you, the, I'll give you the, kind of the bad way, and then I'll give you the good way. Bad way. Uh, so I, uh, I, I know that God has called me to do this, to preach, to be a communicator, and I am surrounded by communicators that are infinitely better than myself, okay? So I look at like a Pastor Jurgen, Pastor Jurgen Matesius, our lead pastor, like world-renowned Christian communicator. And I'm like, I mean, here's the bad way. I could be like, I compare myself to Pastor Jurgen. I'm like, Pastor Jurgen is so much funnier than I am. He's so much more dynamic than I am. Knows the Bible like 80 million times more than I do. It speaks so much more powerfully than I do. Uh, he's awesome. I stink, I stink, I stink, I stink. That's bad comparison. Now, let me show you a good comparison. Well, good comparison's over here. Good comparison. Watch this. Man, Pastor Jurgen. Gosh, he is so funny. He's so dynamic. He's so powerful. Look at what I can become. Look at what God can do through me. If God has done it for him, he'll do it for me. God is no respecter of persons. So comparison is a great thing when done appropriately. And it's my, and it's, so listen, this is what is so wild, okay? My entire adult life, I've done that. I compare myself to everybody. And it's just in me. It's innate. It's like a, it's just how I'm wired. And so for years, think about how frustrating this is to be me, okay? For years, I have slapped my wrist because I was told in church, don't compare, don't compare, don't compare, don't compare, don't compare. So every time I would find myself comparing, I would just be, Mike, shame on you. Stop, 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 stop. And so it was this constant beatdown. I felt like a failure every day. But look, Jesus, turn the lights on. And now this comparison thing in me is insanely healthy. It's great. I view other people as a model of possibility. I see people that are, I see a Jim O'Connor super successful in business. I say, man, if God's done it for Jim O'Connor, he's going to do it for me. I look at Pastor Jurgen. I say, man, he's an incredible communicator. If God's done it for him, he's going to do it for me. Come on. So boom, illumination. God illuminates our identity. And so I'm gonna, in just a little bit, when I, when I wrap this up, I'm gonna pray for some people. And I know that there are some people in here and I, there's, there's, you've just, you've, it's not your fault. It's not, it's not I'm not um, chastising you, but you've believed these lies about yourself. And these, I guarantee you, there's things in you that you view as weaknesses that actually are some of your greatest strengths. And so we're gonna pray tonight that God would illuminate and turn the lights on and that scales are going to fall off of people's eyes, and you're going to see yourself in a totally different light, not listening to the lies that have been spoken over you, but listening to what God says about you, saying, you are my workmanship. Amen? Yeah. Come on. So another, I'll give you another example. Um, I, uh, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, and so I, I read my Bible, um, you know, as frequently as I can. And, and so for a really, really, really long time, okay, like years, let me tell you how I read the Bible. I would sit down, like, okay, you know, get, shake, shake out a little bit, say, all right, God, I'm ready for you to move. I'm ready for you to, let's, let's do it. Come on. You know, Revelation, download, here we go. And then start reading. And I would, you know, get a couple verses down and then my mind would start to wander and I'd be like, man, this would make like a super great tithe message. Like next time I'm up there doing the tithe message, I could really pull that in. And I'd be like, ah, Mike, you're so selfish. You know, so what, like, what are you doing? Don't quit reading the Bible about how you can spin it into some thing to tell other people. Just, just read it and let God speak to you. And I said, ah, shame, shame, Mike, no. And then I would like read some more and then I just like, oh man, that would make this really great point about how digga digga da and maybe you know, this message on faith. And I'm like, no, oh, Mike, no. But then, illumination. God spoke to me and it was like, the, it was the most, one of the most freeing things that's ever happened in my Christian walk is God was like, sometimes God has to be a little forceful with me because I don't listen very good. And he said, hey, dummy, I made you to read it that way. You're a communicator. That's what I've called you to do. I've called you to be a teacher. So of course, every time you look at it, it's gonna go through the filter of how can I communicate this to the people of God? How can I communicate this to the church? And I just know that there are so many of you in here that for whatever reason, because of things in your past, or, or there's these, these things that come very naturally to you that you're trying to suppress. You're trying to, that, that are actually these insane strengths that God wants you to step out in, to, 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 to develop, and, and because of whatever. And so we're gonna, we're gonna say, as Pastor, we're gonna say, we're gonna say fooey to all that. We're gonna say fooey to all that tonight. And we're gonna pray for illumination. Illumination to our identity. You guys, we good? Make sense? Come on. So number two, point number two. Jesus illuminates our purpose, our purpose. You know, I talked about um, uh, the word authentic, meaning um, to be of undisputed origin. And origin um, doesn't just speak about where you came from, where you started. It also speaks about where you're going. And so every piece, every great artist, every great artist, or well, let me say, take it the other way. No great artist ever says, eh, I painted this. Uh, I don't really know why. I don't, I don't know what it. I don't know what it means or what it says. Uh, maybe just whatever people look at and whatever they take from it. Then, uh, like, no artist does that. Artists use their art as a form of expression. Artists speak through their art. And remember, you are His workmanship. God has an assignment for you, something for you to accomplish that was wired in you innately from birth, predestined, something for you to do. And so Jesus will illuminate your purpose. Now, here's the, the funny thing. Um, a lot of us, uh, we, we don't want, so the purpose is really like the big, the big why, you know, like why, like give me like a why for doing what I do. But a lot of us don't, we want the how, we want God to just illuminate, you know, we're supposed to get from here to that door and we want God to illuminate every step along the way so we know exactly how we're gonna get there, exactly what the sacrifice is gonna be, exactly what we gotta put into it, exactly, you know, who we're gonna meet and da 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 And no, 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 no. Here's the way, do you guys remember the game when you were kids, like hot, cold, where you'd be like, okay, warmer, warm, not, not getting a little cold now, getting colder, getting colder. That's good. That, uh-huh. Yep. Warmer, getting hotter, hotter. Okay. Getting cold now, getting real. Okay. Ice cold, ice cold. Let's bring it back. That's like, 
That's how it works. That's called Christianity. One big giant hot cold game with God, okay? That's what we're doing. God does not, his, the, Psalm 119 says that his word is a lamp unto your feet, okay? And I'm talking like, not like, like tactical gear lamp with like eight million lumens. I'm talking about like a little oil lamp that just shines like enough for you to see the next few steps. That's it, that's all you get. You wanna know why? Because it requires you to have faith. If God just illuminated the next 18 years of your life, well then what, what do you need him for, right? And so it's, his word is a, a, a lamp unto your feet, just enough to see a couple steps ahead. And there's a, I'm gonna, there's a story in the Bible. I don't wanna, we don't have time to really unpack it, but I, I'm not even gonna read it. I just wanna paraphrase. But it's, it's probably um, one of the most impactful stories in the Bible to me. And it's um, in Acts chapter 16, where Paul is going on his second missionary journey, okay? And these are like long journeys. This is Bible times, okay? They don't have like commuter jets or bullet trains. Like you, it's like load up the camel and let's walk for like a really long way, okay? So Paul starts in Jerusalem with uh, Timothy and Silas, I believe, and he goes north all the way through um, like modern day Syria and up into, I'm gonna, I'll do it this way so you guys kind of get the geographical picture, up into Turkey. So, you know, you got the big like Turkish Peninsula, and he's right smack dab in the middle in a region called Galatia, okay? And so they're there just trying, and Paul knows his purpose. He knows his why. God has called him to be an apostle and to plant churches. That's it. That's all he knows. That's his why. Go plant churches, make sure they're healthy, and then do it again, okay? Now, he has no idea what the path is or where he's supposed to go. So the Bible literally says in Acts 16 that they're in the middle of Turkey, and all it says is that the Holy Spirit would not permit them in Asia, I don't I have no idea what that means. Paul probably didn't even know what it means. I, who, maybe it means that the people of Asia were like, hey, get out of here. We don't want you. Maybe they're being violent. Maybe they just knew like in their hearts, man, I, Timothy, I just don't think we're supposed to be here, man. I think we're supposed to be, I don't know. But they're like, all right, well, this isn't the place. Let's just, let's go somewhere else. And so they just start, they're like, where should we go? I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, north is always up. Let's just go north. And so they start going north and they go all the way. And again, this is like through the mountains and the desert. It's dangerous. It's perilous. They get all the way to the northern part of Turkey in this region called uh, Mycia. And they're there and they're like, okay, where, what, where do we go now? And Paul's like, I don't know. I, and Timothy's like, well, you're the leader. What, what do you mean you don't know? And he's like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. So they're like, well, we went north and now we're, we're at the ocean. There's no more north. We'd either go left or right. What do you think? Flip a coin, right? Sure, let's go east. So they go east all the way to Bithynia. They're in Bithynia. And then it says in Acts 16, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them there. And so Paul, I'm sure this isn't, the, the, the arm flailing is not in the Bible, but I'm sure he was like, are you kidding me? So like, well, this isn't the place. We, we came from the south. We went to the north. We hit the ocean. We went to the east and that was wrong. Let's go west. Okay. So they start going west all the way across the entire country of modern day Turkey. And they get to the, to the west coast of this town called Troas. And while they're there, Paul has a vision of this man in, in Macedonia. And Macedonia is across the Aegean Sea, kind of like by Greece. And, 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 and he, in this vision, he, this man says, come help us. And so Paul says, oh, we're supposed to go to Macedonia. I knew it the whole time. And so they go, and listen, here's the important thing to take from this story, okay? Paul only knew the why. Didn't have any idea about the path, but said, you know what? I know that, I know what my purpose is. My purpose is to plant churches. I don't know where, so I'm going. And I'm gonna trust that God is big enough to direct my steps as I go. 
And I'm a, listen, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a what we call a yachtsman. <laughs> I love to sail. I um, love being out on the water. And there's one very important principle in sailing. And it is that a boat has zero steerage when it's sitting still. The only way a rudder works is if water is flowing over it. The only way water's flowing over the rudder is if you're going forward. God cannot steer you if you're not going forward. And I know it's scary, but sometimes you gotta just take a step and move. And listen, there's this epidemic in, in, and listen, I'm a millennial Christian, so I'm making fun of myself, okay? There is an epidemic among millennial Christians where this is what you hear all the time. Oh, you know, I'm just, uh, just waiting. Just waiting on God, you know? Just waiting on him to open a door. Hey, when that door opens, I'm ready, baby. I'm gonna, pew, I'm gonna sprint. But don't see any open doors, so I'm just gonna wait, wait till I open. Listen, the Bible says knock and the door will be opened to you. Nobody knocks on an open door. You knock on doors that are closed. So quit waiting on God to open a door and go knock on doors. Say, hey God, is this the right door? And God's like, no. Go that way, two doors down. Okay, cool, this way, knock on the door. Is this the right one? Yeah, come on in. Go, just go, just go. God will illuminate your purpose. And listen, I have the most schizophrenic, bipolar professional life of anybody you have ever met. My poor wife, we have, poor Katie has put on her counselor hat for like, 18 different like redefine your career conversations. And I'm just like, Katie, I don't know what I'm doing. And here's the crazy, I'm telling you, I don't have time to unpack it, okay? Well, let me put it to you this way. I started out as a professional musician, okay? I toured around uh, playing guitar in country western bands. Uh, then I went to school, I became an engineer. Then while I was in school, I was doing creative web design work. Like no engineer in the world ever did creative stuff. Like it's just, like I, and I, and I remember just being like along the way being like, Katie, what am I doing? This makes no sense. But all we were doing was just following God and trusting that God, if we kept forward momentum, would steer us. And I'm telling you, friend, my life, I am one of the most blessed men on the planet. And we have seen God move in some of the most incredible ways and some of the stuff that, um, that I'm stepping into in business and being able to do through this church are unbelievable. And I'm not telling you that to boast, I'm telling you that let that be a model of possibility. I'm not special, if God has done it for me, I promise you he will do it for you too. So Jesus illuminates our identity and he illuminates our purpose. And lastly, he illuminates who God is, the character and nature of God. You see, God um, in the Old Testament is really like, like shrouded in, in mystery. You know, it's like he shows up as like this burning bush that doesn't ever get burned up. And that's super weird. Then he's like this, this pillar of smoke that the Israelites like follow around. And then he turns into this column of fire at night. And then it's like one chapter, he's like, Israel, you're my people, I love you. And the next chapter, he's like, I'm gonna destroy every single one of you. And you're like, what is, and it's just like, God, you're, this is very confusing for all of us. But you see, then Jesus comes along. Colossians 1.15 says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. If you wanna know what God is like, you look to Jesus. 
And last week, um, Pastor Jurgen, if you were here on Easter Sunday, brought up um, this uh, this cosmonaut named Yuri Gagarinov or something. I can't say. It. We'll call him Cosmonaut Yuri so that I don't uh, butcher his last name. And uh, he is he is reported to have said he was the very first man to enter um, enter space. And he said, um, "I've been to the heavens." He's, he's uh, reported to have said, "I've been to the heavens and I saw no God there." So C.S. Lewis, um, who was, was still alive, wrote um, this, this essay, this response to that, called The All-Seeing Eye. And in it, he draws this, it, it paints this incredible analogy. Where, and this, it's a little, I want to unpack it really quick. He says, you can't expect a creator that created a universe to relate to things in that universe the way that things in that universe relate to each other. Okay? Now, when I first read that sin, I had to read it about 18 times. To, so then he, thankfully, Mr. Dr. Lewis, uh, gives a, a more understandable analogy. He says, instead, we have to think of, of God relating to us the way that a playwright would relate to the characters in his play. So I want you to think about something with me right here as, as, we, as we close. Uh, Hamlet is a very famous uh, play written by William Shakespeare. I believe it's the most acted out play in the history of the world. And, you know, Hamlet is, I think, the, like the prince of Denmark or something. And he is going to avenge his father's death or whatever. Now, I want you to just go with me for a second. Okay? Imagine you're in the play. And you've got to go try to tell Hamlet about William Shakespeare. Okay? So we go up to Hamlet. All right. Hamlet, have you heard of this William Shakespeare? And Hamlet's like, what in the world is a William Shakespeare? And he's like, well, and so Hamlet says, well, I mean, is he, is he, is he a character like us? No, no, he's not, he's not a character. He's like, he's kind of outside of, he's, he's a lot like us. Um, we're, we're really kind of like in his likeness, but, but it's different. And, but like the scene that we're in, like he, he thought of it and it's like, he, like, can you imagine trying to explain the idea of William Shakespeare to a character of his play? It would be really hard. Now, the only way that you could have a true understanding of who William Shakespeare is, is if William Shakespeare wrote himself as a character into the play. And that is exactly what Jesus is. God entered his own play, wrote the character of Jesus so that we could understand who God is, the nature and character of God. So as we close, I'd love it if every head would be bowed, every eye closed. You know, talking a lot about illumination and there's a particular kind of light I wanna sort of talk about here as, as we close, and that is a, uh, a lighthouse. Um, you know, a lighthouse is, they're not used so much anymore, but in the old days, a lighthouse would be positioned on a very treacherous piece of land to really warn ships about, you know, land, but also to, if you were out to sea, to really provide um, direction and, and, and a visual anchor. And a long time ago, I told you, I really, I love the water. I love being out on boats. And uh, I was on this boat and it wasn't out at sea. It was on a really, really big lake. And I was with some buddies and 
um, we were just kind of goofing around and the sun kind of was starting to set and I was like, oh shoot, it kind of just crept up on us. It's like, we, we got to go. And so, uh, but it was too late. Like the sun was just, was just falling way too fast. And all of a sudden we found ourselves in the middle of this pitch black lake. And so, okay, we'll turn the light on from the boat and nothing, no light. The big, you know, spotlight light, light on the boat was burned out. And so we were I cannot tell you how disconcerting it was. And it was, we were in the middle of nowhere, this very remote lake. It was pitch black. Like cannot see your hand in front of your face. And we're sitting on a boat in the middle of this huge lake. And so, I mean, we were like, what are we going to do? Like we literally, it was very unsettling. And we like, there was, there was nothing to do. We just decided the only thing we can do is just lay down and just sleep and just wake up when it's light. But then way off in the distance, we saw the porch light for the house that we were staying at. And it was the only light on the entire lake. And it anchored us. We instantly knew exactly where we were. It located us. We knew that nothing was between us and this light. So we were able to just slowly make our way towards this light and make our way home. And I believe that there's some of you in here tonight and you feel a little bit like that. You just feel alone on this huge body of water, just no direction. And where am I going? What am I doing? And maybe it's because you've never actually locked eyes with your lighthouse. And so tonight I want to give you the opportunity to just, uh, to, to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe this is for the very first time. Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's it. You don't have to go say a bunch of Hail Marys. You don't have to do a bunch of good deeds. Just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. So if that's you, maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus ever in your life. And maybe you, maybe you did a long time ago, but you've since fallen away, slipped away, whatever. Or maybe tonight you just feel far from God. And if that's you tonight with every head bowed and every eye close. I just want to include you in a closing prayer. So if that's you on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand. So again, if you have never started a relationship with Jesus, maybe you did a long time ago, but have since fallen away or tonight you just feel far from God. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand so I can see it. One, two, three. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 